A reading from the Gospel according to Mark. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to, uh, to one another, who will roll away the stone for us for the entrance, from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very heavy, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white, sitting at the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell the disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for, ter for, for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now a reading from the letter to the Romans. What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Do you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed, and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin, but if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And from the letter to the Colossians, so if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Earlier this morning, I was thinking about the fact that this is my 63rd Easter. Ooh. Some of you have celebrated more than 63 Easter's. Some of you have celebrated less than 63. But after 63 Easter's, about almost 40 of them, Easter's in which I've been responsible to preach the message of the resurrection, I've come both to look forward to Easter and also to dread Easter. 
The reason I dread it is because you already know what I'm going to say. You already know the story. But there's actually a lot to think about in this story, is there not? Even after 63 Easter's, I still am amazed and awed and sometimes even filled with a new bit of inspiration, a new thought. And so let's think about Easter again. Let's think only about Mark's report. Mark is known for his brevity. Matthew and Luke and John came later. They added more detail. Mark gives us just the simple facts that early in the morning of the first day of the week, the women came to the tomb. They expected to find Jesus' body there. They were going to anoint the body and then leave it there to rot in the grave forever. But that's not what they found. What they found was that Jesus was not there. What they discovered is that Jesus was alive again after having been dead three days. Let's focus on this piece of the story. How did the women respond? How did all of the people respond initially when they heard that Jesus was alive again? Go back and read the words of Mark. The people were filled with terror and amazement. They were afraid. They didn't know what to make of the resurrection. They had no clue about how to understand what had happened. We've been thinking about it for a couple of thousand years now. And so we look forward to the chocolate bunnies and the Easter eggs and the brunches where we eat too much and all those things that we now associate with Easter that have nothing to do with what happened on the first Easter. People who were perplexed, people who were confused, people who were trying to catch up with this new reality that they had encountered but they did not understand. Eventually, they began to understand something that, frankly, none of us completely understands, but that all of us believes. Jesus was alive again. That's why we're here. And so we say that today is the most important celebration of the whole Christian year. This is bigger than Christmas. This is bigger than everything and all things put together. We have been thinking about the central affirmations, the big truths of Christian faith for about a year now as we have worked our way through the Apostles' Creed, that early statement of the most important things that people needed to know, probably as they were being baptized into Christian faith for the very first time. We've been talking about what we believe. 
I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the, de from the dead. He sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Last week we talked about the resurrection of the body. Not these physical bodies, but the new bodies that God gives us that are fit for living in heaven forever with him. The bodies that are us the essence of who we are. That's the resurrection of the body. And then we are given everlasting life. A young, strong man went to see his doctor one day for his annual physical. After all the poking and prodding and tests and whatnot, the man sat down at the desk with his doctor, and he said, Doc, I have just one question for you. Do you think I'll live to be a hundred? And the doctor said, well, do you drink? The man said, no. Do you smoke? No. Do you eat rich, fatty food? No. Do you stay out late at night carousing with your friends? No. So the doctor said, son, why do you want to live to be a hundred? <laughs> at the next service, the choir is going to laugh at that one all over again on cue this time. We believe in everlasting life. We hope for everlasting life. But what is that life? The popular conception is that we sit on a cloud, wearing a flimsy white robe, playing a harp. That's fine. For me, that's actually terrifying. I'm afraid of heights. We are the beneficiaries of thousands of years of reflection and prayer and inspiration and wisdom about what everlasting life is, and much of that reflection began with the Apostle Paul. As he was writing his letter to the church in Rome, Paul talks about the fact that, that people began to understand that Jesus of Nazareth, God and man, was like a new Adam. God had created Adam. That's the Hebrew word for humanity. God created Adam, Adam. But this first Adam was a man of this world who lived and then died. The second Adam, the new creation of God, would live forever. The new Adam, Jesus the Christ, 
had been given victory over death in his resurrection. And Paul says then, because of that, because we participate with him, because he welcomes us into that life, because he says this is what life is all about, we live in newness of life. We are no longer enslaved to sin. That's what eternal life is, in part, no longer being enslaved, captive, bound by that which would take away the blessing of life that God intended from the very beginning. Let's think a little bit more about what Jesus' resurrection actually accomplished. Of course, it accomplished for Jesus the gift of new life. The resurrection is about life winning over death, first and foremost. But, but we have to go on then to say so many other things. Think about why Jesus was on the cross in the first place. Yes, Jesus, had he lived a normal human life, eventually would have died, but he chose that death earlier than he might normally have. Why? Well, Jesus had to die partly because of hatred. Hatred for him, hatred for the good. But in the resurrection, we learn that love wins over hate. Jesus was put on the cross because of fear, the fear of people who could not learn a new way, who could not see a new way to live. But in the resurrection, we learn that courage wins over fear. We can go on with that list. Our death seems to imply that life ends in nothing, but the resurrection means that purpose wins over meaninglessness and that selflessness wins over selfishness, that hope wins over despair, that forgiveness wins over revenge. You can go on and on with that list and eventually say that everything Jesus had to say, everything that Jesus represented, everything that Jesus lived out in his life and that he said we could have too, it all wins, it all prevails because of the resurrection. Eternal life, life forever, is life as God meant it to be from the very beginning. Perfect, complete, whole, filled with total joy, total peace, total love. That is the life eternal, in part, that we say we believe in. But how many of you are impatient? Anybody here? I am. That's why I'm known as a short preacher. I want to get to the end. <laughs> There's more to eternal life than just what's going to go on after you die. Now, I would love to have eternal life. I'm ready for a life filled with peace and joy and love and all of that good stuff, but I'm not quite ready to go yet. So I have another question. Does the fact of my life and your life forever have anything to say about your life and my life right here, right now? Paul wrote another letter to the Colossians and he began to explore that idea. He began to explore the idea that 
we who believe in Jesus through our belief participate with him in his life and death and resurrection. We say, yes, Jesus, that's the way it is for us as well as for you. And so we have our minds set on Jesus. We have our hearts focused on Jesus. We seek out everything that Jesus had to say could be ours. Things of God, things of the next world, things of the worlds of the heavens. And so Paul would say, our lives are hidden in Christ. That'd be a great way to start your day every day, would it not? To wake up and say, my life is hidden in Christ. What did Paul mean by that? What Paul meant to say is that we live now the life of Christ, not the life of the old Adam, the life that's filled with pain and suffering and misery and eventually ends in death. We live the life of Christ. We are hidden in Christ, hidden because there is still much in this world that is of the old way, and yet the new already has broken in. We do not say that Christ will be raised. We say that Christ has been raised, and we look forward then to our own resurrection. The outward form of our lives follows the way of this world. Nevertheless, we are living in our new nature, in Christ Jesus. And so let's go back and look at that list one more time of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Life wins over death, love wins over hate, courage wins over fear, and so forth. That's what Jesus accomplished. That's who Jesus is. That is what we can accomplish, and that's who we can be when our lives are hidden in Christ. We can begin to live our eternal lives now. Our perspective changes because of the resurrection. Yes, we still live in the pain and suffering and misery of this world, but we live now knowing there's something else. There's something more. And it is that which propels us forward. How does that work itself out? in practical life. I love to state these beautiful theological truths with high-sounding language, but I want to know what I do with it today. I'll give you a couple of examples. How many of you saw the news last week that this big old church in Paris burned? Sad, isn't it? But it's not new. It's not new at all. Earlier this year, quite a few churches in the South were burned on purpose. Earlier today in Sri Lanka, several churches were bombed and nearly 150 people lost their lives. Earlier this year, I was in Aleppo, as many of you know, and visited the site of the First Presbyterian Church in downtown Old City Aleppo that was completely flattened and obliterated. Church buildings come and church buildings go but that's not the church. You know that. This place is not the church. This people is the church. 
in Aleppo the very same week, that following Sunday after their building had been blown to bits, the people gathered together in a safer part of the city and they worshiped the living God on Sunday morning. And every single Sunday through five years of no power, no water, oftentimes no food, oftentimes no safety and security, they worshiped the living God every single Sunday morning. And even as the war was still going on, even as half of the city was occupied by rebel forces, they built a brand new building to say, we're still here. Why? Because life wins over death, and love wins over hate, and courage wins over fear, and hope wins over despair. The work of Plant with Purpose is another shining example of the way Christians live in this world because of what we believe about the next world. We go into places where the warlords sit around and say, the women do all the work, and we say, no, there's a different way to do things. We challenge, and then we correct, and we help nurture and grow new ideas, ideas that are gifts from God about the sanctity of work, an idea that comes from out of the very first paragraphs of Genesis. And we say to people, look, you can begin to have the blessings of God here and now. And so there's my real question to you. Not only do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, but are you willing to let that faith change the way you live today? Is your life about love more than hate? and courage more than fear, and purpose more than meaninglessness, and selflessness more than selfishness, and hope more than despair. One of the world's greatest Christian theologians once wrote this. He said that either life itself is a fascinating phenomenon filled with beauty and joy, but also tragedy and sorrow, and it eventually ends, and that's the whole story, nothing more than that. Or, life as we know it now is the beginning of something much bigger, something longer lasting, something of ultimate value and importance. Those who believe in the resurrection of Jesus, he says, believe the latter. Therefore, we live life now with a different perspective and a different quality altogether. By the power of the risen Christ in us, Christians choose life and love and courage and purpose and selflessness and forgiveness and hope and joy, and they choose it today and they choose it forever. That great theologian who wrote that was me. <laughs> Yesterday. <laughs> I choose and you choose to start living life eternal today. Christ is risen. Christ is risen.